invite up uh, Pastor AJ and Pastor June. And we're going to have an opportunity to uh, really take a deep dive into uh, our new series that we started this past Sunday, which is called Love Sick. Pastor AJ preached an amazing message. Can we give up Pastor AJ's message if y'all were here this Sunday? An amazing message talking about our love, talking about the source, the standard, and the supply of love. I listen to your message, man. Trust me. I listen. I listen. Um, and so what we want to do on Wednesdays throughout this entire month of focusing on this series, Love Sick, All Things Relationships, All Things Love, and taking the temperature of our love is that we want to take a look behind the curtain. We want to do a deep dive and almost do, if you would uh, uh, bear with me, like an extended edition, a part two of what we learned on Sunday to tackle on Wednesday. And so this is a time when I want you guys to feel comfortable, feel at home, to lean into the message. We're going to have a, uh, um, uh, an opportunity to ask Q&A questions. And so if you would, you guys can scan it when it comes up on the screen. Just follow the instructions there. But we're going to have a great time tonight. It's going to be conversational. It's going to be really helpful. You guys excited for tonight? I'm so excited. Every If you've talked to me about the series, I've probably told you how excited I am about the series. And I'm so excited because these two guys are like my favorite people in the world. So let's give it up for Pastor AJ and Pastor June, everyone. Amen. And Pastor Tellus. Tellus and I were talking about this and we knew week one of the series was going to be talking about love. And we said, who, um, if you had to talk about God's love with one person, who would you want to talk about God's love with? And at the same time, we said, Pastor June. <laughs> so we're super, super glad you're here with us tonight, man. You're the best. That's so sweet. <laughs> He's like, I don't know how to receive that compliment. Yeah, I receive that. <laughs> um, so this is an opportunity for us to take like a deep dive um, on uh, Pastor AJ's message, lovesick. And one thing I want to do before we get into any Q&A conversation, yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Um, you told me that you had so much written down for this message you spoke on Sunday. I told the church that too. <laughs> yeah, you told everybody. And as you said that, you said that you had like four pages of extra it, notes that it grew you to didn't six. say. It grew to six. You, yeah. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you had six pages of extra notes that you didn't say on Sunday. If there was, because of time, I'm assuming, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, okay. Of course. If there was one thing that you could add back into the message that you didn't say on Sunday... That was in your six pages of extra yeah. notes. What would you, what would you say? Man, um, obviously there's like probably 10 or 12 things sure. I would want to say. I think, I think there's two. One I won't, one I won't, like I would have loved to just kind of like Bible nerd out on like the Greek of the different types of God's love, right? So like agape love, which you may have heard is the unconditional love of God, but agape was like a dead word. And it didn't have meaning in the, in the context at the time. And so the apostles and the, the writers of the gospels defined it through the life of Jesus and his ministry. So when we talk about like God is the author of love, like he literally defined the word we use for the unconditional love of God through the person of Jesus. Mm. And that's just like, I, don't, I guess it's more so fascinating to me sure, yeah. and like really interesting and very compelling. But I think the thing that maybe is a little bit more applicable than the thing that we can walk away with really came you started it and it's not you it's we the idea that um oftentimes god expresses his love to us through people mm. and in fact i think god almost always expresses his love to us through people even the person of jesus right was a was a person through whom god moved and we feel and see and have a tangible example of god's love and for me that's so compelling because that changes the way i see every other person in my life mm. and so like if I'm sick and June and Sarah bring a meal over yeah, right. to help me, yeah. 
it changes that from going like, oh, well, he's just a good person. Right. Oh, that's very nice. He's a, he's a sweet friend, <laughs> right? And it changes it from going, you know, God loves me so much through the people in my life. Because June doesn't, I mean, you're a good person for sure, but you love God. You and, you and Sarah, you love God. And so you pour yourself out because God loves you. And I receive your love through these things. And so that's going to change the way I view relationships is that this person might be the vehicle for God's love to me. And I shouldn't take them for granted. I shouldn't assume it. I should cherish it. And I could talk about that for another 45 minutes. But. We could all talk about Pastor June in Pastor Sarah for another 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. Actually, this is why we asked you here. We'd just love to just compliment you yeah, for the next hour and a half. It's going to be a 40-minute um, compliment. Pastor Sarah, if you would come. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we just started inviting people on stage. Like, you come up. We'll compliment you. Um, no, I think that's great. And when we talk about, like, the different forms of love, right, the agape yeah. love, yeah. that love, um, this unconditional love, um, yeah. it's intimidating. Because you have this standard that Jesus gives, and uh, you even said in your message, uh, um, the new command that new commandment that Jesus gives is to not love people as yourself, but to love them as I have loved you. Yeah, just just die for others. <laughs> right, exactly. A yeah. very low bar. So just the, sacrifice your entire <laughs> life for somebody else. Easy. And so, what are you supposed to like? Is, when you hear the agape love, is that now the goal? Should we now be people who are just like? A, a, a striving for this Jesus agape love with everybody that we meet. No well, yeah, I mean, I think in a sense, yes, that's the standard, right? You don't, you, you don't. Again, we're not going to lower our standard and go. Well, that's an unattainable thing. I won't try that. Mm. But the only way that even has any chance of manifesting itself in any real action is going to be from what we have talked about, which is a focus on being the beloved. Mm. And so it's what we just had this moment, where it's not about you giving, but it's about you. Focusing and meditating. That's, that was the whole third point of the message. The supply of love to you can only come when you are meditating and focusing and cherishing the gospel. Like the, not just, oh, Jesus died for my sins. and No, no, no. But you, you meditate on that. You soak in that. And you think about what that actually means for you. Why, why would anybody love you like that? Like you did not earn that. That was not a right that was given to you just because you, you were born. But God chose you. And he's, and he's worked the course of history to move towards you, to redeem you. And he does that because he loves you with this unconditional agape in the Hebrew, this hesed love, right? This covenant-keeping type of love. And so you, we must slow down and, fo- and just ch- sit in that yeah. and be the beloved. Yeah. And I know that's hard for us to do because we want to go do stuff and show right. it and all of that. Yeah. But just that idea of like, can you sit and meditate and pray and, and wonder in mm. how beloved you are yeah. by God? And what will that then produce out of you is, is incredible. Yeah. And it, what you mentioned that it comes from people, I think, is sobering, challenging, and refreshing. Because God's grace to us comes through people. And God's most often use of supplying grace to us, and I think intended use originally, is through family, right? right? That, like, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you have God's establishing tribes of Israel, and that now he is our father, Jesus is our other brother, we are now adopted into the family of God. So, like, that's the format, the vehicle in which God gives his love to us. And I find it interesting because you, you mentioned how people are the way that God does that, and sometimes we could refuse or reject the love people have for us because we don't think that's the way that God wants to do it. But in the kingdom of God, I've noticed that people are either two things. They're either your siblings or your spouse. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like, they are either your brother and sister in Christ, or they're your spouse. And so, that even is the way that God intends for us to receive love, is through family. It's your family, yeah. And so, when you love me as a brother or a sister in Christ, then I receive it as, oh, this is still God's plan to give me love through family, because you're my brother and sister. Or if I receive it through a marriage, then this is still God's plan to sanctify me and love me through a spouse. Yeah. That's profound. And I'm waiting for June. To, I'm waiting, just waiting for June to jump in. <laughs> it's so good. You go. That's that's right. Right. No. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, that's that's again. I just go like for this whole series. It's reframing relationships, yeah. and so and that's at every level, right? It's we're not only talking about dating, um, although we will, um, you will, at some point. But every relationship, right? And I think the family for most of us is probably the primary place of pain is fractured relationship with parents, difficult relationship with siblings, whether your parents are together or not, or they're in your life or not, or if they are and they're still just not what you wanted them to be. You know, I mean, there's so many variables just in that, that that's really like the first place this whole thing needs to be restored and seen, and yet that is how God has intentionally knit us together. Your support system is supposed to be the front line, your family, right? The first, the, the, the greatest onus of discipleship is on parents, it's not on pastors. It's on parents. And so as much as we go, like, we want a great man or woman of God, the intention, God's intention was your mother and father would disciple you and raise you, and everybody would have that. Yeah. And yet we know that that's not the case. And so that's one of the first places that need to be redeemed. Yeah. That's great. We doing Q&A? You want to do a question? Let's do a question. Okay. So you can text in your questions. Um, yep, there it is. You can go to slido.com, and then you'll put in that number, 741837. Or if you, can, if you can snag that QR code um, with your phone, go ahead and do that. Uh, we got a couple in the queue. Um, okay, we're going to go. I guess we're going to go deep right off the bat. I think, that, I think that's we're fair. Here. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I think also um, if you guys all pull this up, you can upvote questions. I don't know if you can downvote questions, but if there's one that you agree with and you want to see answered, you can um, log in there and, uh, and upvote them. Maybe we don't want to downvote people. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to, yeah. How do you stay with somebody who cannot give love? It's a three-part question. I'm going to start with part one. How do you stay with somebody who cannot give love? I mean, I think it's, is it Peter who says, um, I, I, I assume it's marriage. If it's not marriage, then that does change the question a little bit. Um, yeah, if I you're married, you stay yeah. with them, right? Right. It's, it's just what you do. Um, is it Peter when he says, wives, you can, when, the way that you love your unbelieving husbands can bring them to Christ? Um, I think that's in Peter, but it's Second this. Huh? Second Corinthians, the unbelieving spouse. Uh, you can look it up yeah. while I talk. Okay. Um, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a to type the of love that changes us and also a type of love that changes others. And the way that we love people um, from a place that isn't from our love-sick relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think where we kind of get into an issue is that we think that our love can change people when it can't. I can can be nice to you. I can be kind to you. I can value you and encourage you and think that you're the – and compliment you all I want. But my love is insufficient for any transformation in your life. And if I think that my love is sufficient for any transformation, I think that's when I start to discourage myself mm-hmm. because um, it, um, it's this idea of I can't be your savior. I can't fix you. 
And if we go into a relationship or even are sitting in a relationship where we think that we can save somebody, we're only going to crush them and disappoint ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, it's, it's not our role. Mm-hmm. It's not. Now, we are called to love them, and I can't fix you. I can't save you. I can't be your Messiah. How do you love somebody um, who can't give love? Um, I, I don't know if I agree with the premise. I was going to say, yeah. go, ahead, go, go ahead. Well, just that you can't give love. I don't know. I don't know that I. I mean, this is it sounds like a very nuanced question. So there's probably a sure. handful of follow-on questions to to be had. But um, maybe maybe the heart of the question is um, it's not given in a way that's able to be received, or maybe there's some stubbornness or some brokenness. I mean, this this the first thing this makes me think of is love languages and the idea that we each have a unique love language that we speak. And when we don't speak the same, I'm still going to speak my love language to you. But it sounds foreign to and me. And it's going to sound foreign to you. And it might be nice. You might be, th- thank you for that. Yeah. But it won't actually fill your love tank. Yeah. So like if I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a physical touch mm-hmm. guy, and then I, I just give you, you words to, of affirmation all the time. Yeah, and then you bring me a present. I'm yeah. going to be like, that's really kind of you. But yeah, that's nice. can you give me a hug? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a, that's a part, right, is understanding, you know, well, we're like best friends, so... <laughs> I will give you a hug later. And okay, it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> Can I get a present too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but 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 that also contributes. So the part two is then how how do you love someone who can't receive love? And so I mean the, again, there's manifold follow-on questions I think to this one. Yeah, I mean I think the answer is you look at Christ. Really, right? We see in Ephesians that it, God, um, because of the great love with which He loved us, He made us alive. Yeah. So it's not that we weren't good at loving God. We were incapable of loving God. A dead thing cannot love. And so we were dead. And because of his great love, he made us alive. And so how do you love somebody who is incapable of giving? Was it giving or receiving love? It was both. And who can't give or receive love? Um, I, intercession, I think, is a great way to love yeah. that person. Um, the gospel is a great way to love that person because that was me. Now, it might not be interpersonally me, but that was me spiritually with God. I was unable, unable to love God, yeah. and he loved me with that great love. So I think the gospel in practicality is preaching. <laughs> I don't know if it's appropriate in whatever context that is, mm-hmm. but I'd say that truth of I was dead and unable to give love and receive love, and then Jesus in the middle of that loved me is the thing that made me alive yeah. and able now to be able to love God. Yeah. Which is the starting point of, I mean, I think what we're going to probably say five times over the next five weeks is it's the genesis is going to be you having been born again, made alive again, regenerated by Christ. That's the only way you're going to have an overflow or an outsource of this. Um, One of the things I got a lot of comments on after the message was it was kind of just a, not a throwaway comment, but it was just, it wasn't something I spent any time to unpack or expand on. But the idea of love your neighbor as yourself and so what the devil can't destroy, he corrupts. And so now we have a generation of people who don't love themselves and really struggle with self-doubt and insecurity. That was a great point, by the way. Well, it Good sounds job. like it. It sounded like it, it sounded like that resonated. And so there, there's a question in here about that as well. Um, so I'm going to make, I think you've got thoughts. I know you've got thoughts and you're being so humble and gentle and we'll just talk for hours. Um, but I don't know, thoughts on loving, on self-care, self-love, navigating that? I, I have many thoughts. <laughs> I hope these are helpful thoughts. Um, self, um, self-love. Um, Proverbs 19, 
8 says this, Proverbs 19.8. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. So wisdom is somehow related to loving your soul. And the next phrase of that verse says, he who keeps understanding will find good. When we have hard time having a healthy sense of self in Christ, that always leads to a discernment and understanding and wisdom issue that we had. So what we're really praying for in that regard is, God, give me more discernment and higher wisdom because the wisdom that I had so far in my relational life had been enough. But I just entered a new realm of relationship and intimacy that requires a brand new level of wisdom, such as marriage, when you have children, when you have grandchildren. These are all new realms of relationship that you need greater, not only grace, and, but only wis- at the same time wisdom as well. Um, when we don't have that wisdom, I think what happens, to, what, what happens usually is that we get um, jealous. That's usually what, what happens because what is jealousy and envy is, um, and we see this in the story of Saul, 1 Samuel 18 as well, is you know you, have, you don't have something, so you lack something. And you know you lack something. That's insecurity, right? And you walk in that. And you start to look around. And I look at Pastor AJ and go like, he's so good looking. He is. Like, he's so multidimensional in his just, and I'm not, I'm, I, I think my face is flat. Like, I, if I think that, that's like, and I'll look at him. He's so charming. Yeah, he is. Look at, look yeah. at my eyes and his eyes. Like, he's got beautiful and big eyes. I don't. Maybe. Now we have to compliment him, right? Like, no, we no, can't no, just no, let no, him. No. Like, just... <laughs> You've done that enough. You've embarrassed me enough. So I think that, that's, that's what happened with, with Saul, right? It, but here's the thing. If we read on with the passage, he becomes jealous with, of, of David because of his wasted chance that God has given him. And, and he's looking at this young buck who's like, oh, you have all the opportunity and the love and the popularity. And then what, 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 what do you see in the passage? He gets demon-possessed. And the presence of God leaves him. Jealousy is not a like a light issue that we should just look at it go like I I got green eyes I'm like yeah you're a green monster because you're jealous right now that's that's not like something to really for us to take lightly or joke about I um, mean these are all closely intertwined um, and I think us battling jealousy is really good and it, it's a good really a uh, um, I think signal for our soul is when you get jealous, then you should really look into and ask God, God, help me, because I'm not going to allow this to enter my relationship, my marriage, uh, my children, and God help us. And that's so nuts, because then you find David, chapters later, who was envious over another man's wife, took her, but then the anointing left Saul, but then you find David praying, was it Psalm 51, where he says, Lord, please don't take your spirit from me. And so you have like almost a very similar situation of envy or jealousy, wanting something that you can't have or that you ought not to have, but two really different responses to it. And then God took his anointing from Saul, but kept it on David. That's so good. And I wonder like that humility, right? To, to value the presence of God over the gifts of God. How can that keep... And, and maybe even defend against jealousy, right? Yeah. Because then what's the goal? Yeah. Like what, what, 
my goal isn't to have that, that, them, that thing anymore, but my goal, if it is true, inherent, like David, was the presence of God. And so that's the thing that he's guarding against, not I have less than them or I have more than them or I want what they have. Well, and then even in the response, Saul's response of indifference and David's response of like, I don't remember the psalm that he wrote after his child died, but right, it's like one of the most powerful and moving psalms of repentance and of, and of praise to God. And you just see a totally different contrast of what, what was their highest desire. And that's different. And I think for each of us, as we're looking mm. in this, it's, it really has to go, what is our highest desire? Mm. I was meeting with the person and, you know, it's about, we're talking about repairing a relationship and, you know, all, all of the out, outworking of that, you know, with children involved and families and all of that and how we're believing God for reconciliation. And, and I just had to kind of, in the middle of that, just kind of check it and go, I'll, I will believe God for that for you. But that is not the highest thing we're after in this. We are not just after a repaired relationship. You need to be after God in this. And you need to believe that he is after God in this. And that has to be the number one thing that you're really prioritizing and chasing after. Because out of that will come the ability to reconcile, to forgive, and to restore what was broken and what was lost. But if you're not after God, you're after an outcome, you'll never get the outcome. Because the outcome is dependent on the source of, of God, that's the only thing that's going to change our hearts. Yeah. And a relationship is all about heart transformation. Yeah, absolutely. I th- think about, and I think this is going to be in the singleness message, so it's a little teaser, but okay, like teaser. That, what you're talking about yeah. and how not for the outcome and how sometimes we have this um, temptation to base the success of obedience on the blessing of the outcome. The success of the obedience based on the blessing of the outcome. So is the obedience yes. worth it? What did God give what, to me? Well, what did I get out of it? Out of being obedient? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of my obedience, did God give me what I wanted? And it becomes this transaction between us and God. God, if I become pure, you'll give me a spouse, yeah, right? right? If I stop uh, right. um, being irresponsible with my money, then you're going to give me more. And we start making this transaction with God. And I think it's the motive, what you're talking yeah. about. It's, it's yeah. what's, what's the utmost and highest for you? Let's do some rapid fire. Great questions because um, we've got we've got a queue forming now which is which is phenomenal I'm going to start at the top and I'm going to work our way down um, Pastor June how do you accept love when you struggle with feeling emotions in general it's emotional disconnect I have trouble feeling feelings how then can I receive go ahead I just want to preface us. this by saying he's going to rapid fire questions and then give you that question I, I, well so I, good all... luck so just answer it really quickly, Pastor. Yeah, just June. in like two sentences, <laughs> yeah, exactly. solve that problem for us. <laughs> so how do you receive love when you feel no like time you to can't? Prepare. It's yeah. super simple. Yeah. So we're talking yeah. about numbness, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's a habit of numbing, and that's a self-defense mechanism that that person has. Whoever have, who have whoever has been answer, asking that question, and if I could even touch and revisit the first question that you asked of the person saying, "How do I love a person who can't give love?" Can, can we just pause and can we just love on you and pastor you? Because the, those people who are sending in these questions, you're in a lot of pain, and I'm, we're so sorry that you, to to hear that because you you asking that is. You're going, I'm running out of gas. I don't know if I can sustain this. We've all been there with you, and it's, it's painful. I hope this encourages you that we're all struggling with you in, in all our marriages, in all our relationships, except my wife because she's perfect. There you go. And, Very um, good. Very good. <laughs> but, but I think, <laughs> yep, point. She is. Brownie points. <laughs> Um, I think numbness is something that we can find um, solution in, in the Bible in a very unique way. 
is, in short, is, it's the grace of God, but then you do have to open your heart up so that that heart of stone can be turned into the heart of flesh exactly. per new covenant. But it has to be God. But then there a, there's a portion, and I say this really carefully, that you need to repent. Because your numbness might have protected you, but you protected yourself from God till this point. Because you know our hearts don't have compartments, right? So our approach to that person or that event, how you numbed it, you numbed your heart towards to God as well. So um, I'm Sorry. very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> We're just receiving. Yeah. We're just listening. Yeah. This is so good. So, so, so um, there's a fear within you probably about the love of God. Love of God. And I feel like this is from the Spirit of God. And there's a fear, probably an image that you have about the love of the Father that you have inherited or you have experienced in your past. But that's all lie. He is loving and he is gentle and he's kind. You know why you feel that? Even the strive to like, how do I do, deal with this? It's because he, he's visiting you in that place. That's why. So you want to respond. So proud of you as your pastor. Keep, keep on that journey because you're in the right path. We just want to encourage you and just keep feeling it. Um, just a couple of questions for you to ask yourself if you're struggling with this. Number one, when you enter any kind of event or moment or any... You ask yourself this question, what is my intent in this moment? Like in this moment, what is my intent in this? So I don't numb, but I'm active about what is my intention? So you choose that. And number two, always feel what your body is feeling. Like you got to feel it. And you start there. It's a a discipline. It's an exercise, practical exercise. Like where do you feel tense right now? Where do you feel pain right now? And why? Why? How long have you had it? Are you even aware? And these things seem to be like such easy questions to answer, maybe, but it's not. And that will help you in numbness, I think. That's beautiful. Thank you, Pastor June. Can we give a hand for Pastor June? Thank you for that, man. Yeah. Gosh. Um, (laughs) How do you remember God's love for you, Pastor Tellus, in the midst of having self-sabotaging thoughts or just thoughts of like, does God love me? Is he, you know, like, how do you, how do you remember and cherish the love of God in the midst of basically the battlefield of the mind and of the doubt and the insecurity of self self-worth? That's a great question. Um, how do you remember it? One thing I remember when, when Jesus, um, before he went to the cross, one thing that Jesus asked us to remember was the Last Supper. And so as we take the bread and drink the cup, he says, remember me in this. And so I think there's an element of sacrifice that goes into remembering. One of my favorite stories um, in the scriptures is... Wait, are you just going to pass through that sentence? <laughs> like, that was good. Well, well, I think, yeah, like when you have, when you have a full and maybe complete or maturing understanding of the sacrifice that the Lord made for you, uh, there is, I think, an open door for love to enter into. If that sacrifice is always met with um, excuses on why you can't receive the love, you start to close the door. So the truth is that God loves you. The truth is that he broke his body for you and that he shed his blood for you. Oftentimes, we are our own worst critic, and the voice we listen to most often is our own. And so we start to reason our way out of, that's for everybody else, but not for me. And so if you 
start to reason that way out and start thinking of excuses why that sacrifice maybe isn't fully yours, that's when you close the door. So I think excuses or guilt or shame is how we close the door to receiving his love and to remembering it. And one of my favorite stories in John is when um, sinful woman is sitting with Jesus in the house and uh, he's with all these religious people and with some of his disciples. And as he's sitting with them, the, the religious leaders are saying, man, and she's uh, crying at his feet, right? And wiping Jesus's feet with her tears. This really like dramatic scene. And as she's doing this, the, the religious leader said, man, if he really was a prophet, he would know who this girl was and he would never let her do that. Like this dude is a fraud. He's a fake. Like she's a sinner. Get her out of here. And then Jesus, it says, perceiving their thoughts, tells this story to Peter. And he says, Peter, say that there are two people who owe in debt. One owes $10, one owes $1,000. And the master forgives both of the debts. Who would be more thankful? And then Peter responds, well, the man who owed $1,000. And Jesus says, you've judged rightly. And then he looks at the woman and he says, because she has been forgiven for much, she loves much. Sometimes we associate maybe, or at least the way that I think of that scripture, the way that I would put it is because she's been forgiven for a lot, she forgives a lot. But Jesus says, because she's been forgiven for a lot, she loves a lot. I think sacrifice is linked to how well you can remember Jesus's love. And can you remember it practically by saying, can you remember all of the ways that God has loved you? All the ways that he sacrificed for you. And if you can't remember in your life right now and you say, my life, that seems far away from me, Jesus' sacrifice and his grace for me, can you just open the book of John? Can you open into the gospel and see that Jesus died for us while I was still a sinner? Can you receive that? Um, I heard a pastor say recently, a stronghold is a place in your life where the truth of God can't reach you. And it's, he's, he's speaking about if you hear the truth of scripture and you know it's true, but you can't make it true in your life. You can't receive it as truth. That's a stronghold in your life. And I agree with Pastor June, to be honest, in a loving way, I want to say that there's grace for you in that. If you look at a scripture and say, that's great for other people and I can't receive it for me, you can't fully believe that he loved you when you were dead in your trespasses. That's a stronghold. And what a stronghold is, is a stronghold that the enemy has on you where you can't receive the truth of God in your life. And so I would ask you, like, examine places where you can read a scripture and you don't believe it. And then once you find that place, repent from that place. And then ask the Lord, God, would you remind me of all of the ways that you've forgiven me? Because out of that, I believe, is when we can receive his love truly and then love truly. Yeah, and, and in that, pray for a spirit of, of revelation that God would reveal to you the truth of that scripture. Because how many times have you read a scripture a thousand times in your life, and then one day you read it, and you're like, oh, and that's the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. And so we, as we seek God for that, it's also just reveal this truth to me as I release it to you. Um, a lot of, lot of really good questions. Um, I wanna, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to preach on marriage on Sunday, and then we'll talk about marriage um, next uh, Wednesday night. And so we have questions about being uh, equally yoked and how do you know, is there a way to know if you're ready for marriage? Um, and I'll just, yes, I know we could do th 30 minutes on that. Um, I will answer that very quickly because um, there's some other ones that I would love um, your guys' thoughts on. Um, is there a way to know if you're ready for marriage? Um, we've been talking about this idea a lot. Uh, part of the tagline of the series is we want to do more relationship prepare than repair. And if you have a deep understanding of a biblical view of marriage, like a deep understanding, like you know what this is and isn't, 
you know what, what God has said marriage is and what God has said marriage is not, then, uh, then honestly, then I think you're probably positioned well for marriage. When I preach on marriage on Sunday, if you're going like, I didn't know any of this, I would go like, well, we're getting you ready. Like, you're probably not ready. And a lot of it is just combating what the culture says about marriage and how it is supposed to fulfill you and what your spouse is supposed to be for you and all of this and just go like, that's culture though. And again, if you want what culture has, by all means, lower your standards to it. But what I've seen is not a very appealing picture. I'd rather have the biblical view of it. That's actually what I do have. And I have like the most fulfilling marriage and I'm very happy. And as we've talked, people go, man, marriage is, marriage is so hard. And, you know, marriage is tough and all of that. And it's like, well, everything in life is hard, first of all. And so you work at anything that's important. But I think when you have a right understanding of it and you know what you're in for, then it becomes much easier. And I think you both need to be on that page, of course, because just because you know something doesn't necessarily mean your spouse knows something. Also, you would have taken marriage prep uh, with Pastor J.C. Sherrod would be the other way that I would know you're ready for marriage. Um, how, do you, how do you not let past traumas affect your current or future relationships? You can't. It could. Yeah. Good. It, will, Good. It, will, it will influence you. There's no doubt about it, but it can be redeemed. But redeeming is different from um, how do I not let it influence me and my spouse and my future? Um, no, it has to be redeemed, and that relates very closely to purpose. Um, Genesis 1.27, we know that like made in the image of God, men and women. And then read the next verse, 28. God blessed them and told them, go multiply. So there's a vision, which now is now... Um, given by Jesus Christ in Ma uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, right? Now go make disciples. Um, our wholeness is very closely intertwined to our purpose or vision that God gives us. Um, you, your past trauma, it can't just, listen, it can't just be whole. It has to be turned into purpose, and that's actually what it means to be whole. If you don't have purpose in the image of God as God is restoring you, something's going to go wrong in that. So I want to encourage that trauma. Can we turn our trauma? We all got, you know, um, different traumas that we're struggling with. Can we turn that into purpose would be a great question to start from instead of us focusing and saying, how can we heal that or not yeah. have that influence or... Are you going to talk about the blowfish? Or? Okay. okay. <laughs> now you have, have to. to now. I, I, I'm sorry. You have to now. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about no, it, I'll talk about yeah. the blowfish. <laughs> sorry. Talk about the blowfish. Um, I, was, I had lunch with these guys last Friday, and I was talking through my message with them. And um, uh, I actually got the curry example from Pastor June. So you hey. get the, we can, if that helped anybody, you can, th you can thank him. But um, I had an example in there when I was thinking about um, standards, and I know that there's uh, a, bl a Japanese blowfish called fugu. It's the most poisonous uh, edible fish um, that's served in restaurants, and it takes very specific um, uh, steps in the preparation of the fish to ensure basically that it doesn't kill you when you eat it. 
And I was just, you know, I was like researching this reading. I was sharing it with these guys. And I was like, you know, I'm not really sure it fits, but just I love this idea that like all of us have like poisonous parts of our body that like God has to like get out of us and like so that we don't kill each other in a relationship. And I'm like, I don't really think that preaches very well. I don't know that that's like not encouraging. The most encouraging. And I don't really know if that's poisonous. right. Welcome to the love message. You're poisoned. Yeah, exactly. You're poisoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are deadly within you and it will kill. Yeah. Like you invited me to this? Yeah. God bless you. Love yeah, you. Yeah, be be blessed. Yeah, um, love sick. But it is. Yeah, it's the sense of that. Yeah, there's past. There's past trauma. So there's the there's the blowfish. Yeah. No, but blowfish I, I think with that, like, if I can quickly say it, I think trauma can a lot of times feel like condemning because we take it on as who we are. And there's one verse. I you ever read? I read my Bible. I promise. But you ever read a scripture? And you're like, I did not know that was in there. First John, uh, three twenty. I think it deals with condemnation and how we take on something that feels like trauma is first John three twenty. for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Mm. And I again. read that Say, oh. and I was like, that's encouraging because John tells me that he, he, I'm not alone in my heart condemning me, making me feel like I am what I did. And this truth, maybe it's echoing what Jesus says where he says, take heart for I've overcome the world, but it's this truth of, but God is greater than our heart. And so there very well might be a part of me that feels like I am this thing, especially when it comes to trauma. And if I can encourage you, God is greater than your heart. The most deep, personal, vulnerable place where you feel like it is almost who you are, God is greater than and there are certain parts of us that we feel are extremely connected to our identity that come from our heart. And, G- and John says that that might very well be true. You might feel that it is inherently part of who you are, like it or dislike it, and God is greater than your heart, which means there is something that supersedes your heart, which means that you can't fully trust your heart. <laughs> Because there is something greater than it that speaks more truly to it. And so I think there goes something with trauma. And I don't know if that's encouraging. But it was a verse that I read that I hadn't seen. And yeah. that it's more encouraging than me. the blowfish. So. <laughs> hey, man, you have to say The part that we're poisonous, right? You don't have to say all that, man. You just keep, you just keep that to yourself. You I love to. that he asked you to tell the yeah, blowfish story. Yeah, he asked to say it. And then he's going to kill me for it. It's a true friend right there. Um, tell us, you could, it's just maybe in the same vein, I'm going to fit in like maybe one or two questions because we got to wrap fast. up here in a second. Um, uh, cause it's related to, it's related to kind of the deep hurt of relationships. So why does the pain of a broken heart or a broken relationship run so deep and last so long? Um, and then what helps the healing process and as well, one of the guys who feels feelings even better than I do, uh, I dealing with heartbreak and pain. Any yeah, thoughts on that? I think it's similar. You were just kind of on that, on, on that thread. Yeah, no, for sure. Read the question one more time, please. Uh, why does the pain of uh, broken relationships mm-hmm. run so deep and last so long? What helps with the healing process? Why does it hurt so deep and run so long? I think because they were never intended to break. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something that our spirit knows that our mind doesn't sometimes. And so we're like this, when we feel a broken relationship, Eden, God's intention for us, what we're going back to, his whole redemptive story, we were never supposed to have a broken relationship. So I think that's why it hurts so bad, is because your spirit feels something that your mind and your heart don't know yet, maybe. Um, I mean, that's part of my testimony is, uh, 
like in the long story short, in the span of like two months, um, I lost my who, my what, and my where. And that who is the person I thought I was going to marry. I was like, oh, this is my wife. I'm going to be with her, blah, blah, blah. And like I was broken, absolutely. And there was a verse that came alive to me that God is close to the brokenhearted. Yeah. And transformed my life. And oftentimes I feel like the lowest points of my life is when God comes the closest. Um, and w- why I think that's it. Um, and then what was the question? How do we. And what, get, and what helps the healing process? Yeah. <sighs> what helps the healing process? Um, this, this isn't comfortable, but honestly for me, think about it until it hurts and then keep thinking about it. Um, just being honest, because I we told avoid you to feel all the feelings. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know, right? Think about feel it, it hurts, and then keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it all out. <laughs> you should see my journal from that year of my life. It was just year, just damp, damp. <laughs> uh, the pages are soaked yeah, with exactly. tears. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Oh my I god. Got you. I get it. Um, I think we sometimes. We distract ourselves out of pain to think that we fixed it. Oftentimes, I think that pain looks way more like a roundabout than it does like an exit. Because sometimes we just want to get off the pain road. And so I just want to be, I'm on this road. I don't want to be here, but I go here. And then God's actually redemption, I believe, happens in his presence. And so if you try and go and try and get rid of um, the pain, but leave it out of his presence, he won't deal with it. And so you take it into his presence and he deals with it in that roundabout and then puts you out on the other side, redeemed, whole and restored. So I think that that's the way that I think about it. Like it might be crude way to say of like, feel it till it hurts and keep feeling it. But sometimes like, I don't know if you're like me. I, I sometimes just want the pain to stop more than I want to be healthy and to be healthy. Truthfully, I, I honestly believe that it takes confronting, dealing with thinking about in a safe way, the thing that has hurt you. Um, and then taking that to the Lord. And once we get into his presence, that's when the Lord starts to truly deal with it. And I believe deal with things that go way deeper than just what happened, but who now we have taken on or what we have taken on as an identity. So I think that might be something. Um, this will be our last one. Some of these we'll save for next week because they're related specifically towards, uh, marriage, uh, dating. We'll have, we'll talk about singleness, um, in, in, in a couple weeks. Um, so we'll save some of these. If we forget to save them, resubmit them when we have that, that night. This was something I... No, I was just going to say, because maybe we give a timeline. Marriage is next week. Yes. Oh, yeah. And then singleness Singles is the, the week, week after, after that. that. Yeah. Um, and then there will be more to come after that. Um, I talked about this briefly. Pastor June, I would love your thoughts on it. Um, markers to indicate when you are in an unequally yoked relationship. How do you know you're unequally yoked? I just I will give you the first image that came in my mind um, because obviously it's an image of um, unequally yoked would be like oxen and so I had just the idea of a big oxen next to a little oxen and if they're pulling they're gonna go in circles and so just the first image that came to my mind was like if your relationship is going nowhere spiritually emotionally in any capacity you're just kind of not nothing's happening there's uh, there's a good chance somebody is not equally yoked here because we're not like for me and Michelle, like we know what our mission and our purpose in life is. We know who our God is to us. We know what that means for our marriage. We know that what that means for our children. We know what that means for our life, for our money. And so we can pull together in that direction. And there's not a whole lot of conflict about that. There's challenges in figuring it out, right? Like, you know, I'll have to do stuff at church and she'll have to be home with the kids. And can we balance that? And like, of course, but that's, 
anybody, you know, but it's, we know where we're going and we're not really in disagreement about that. And so I think it doesn't, you know, I wouldn't, I might be reading too far into it, but I wouldn't try to ascribe like a number system. Like, well, he knows three Greek words and I know none. And so is he better? Like, am I, who's, is he more, and it's not really about like who's more of a Christian and less, but it's, are you both chasing after God? Is he a priority in your life? And kind of like what I was saying um, on Sunday, if you weren't there, would they still be on this path after God? Is that just who they are? And if is that who you are? And if it is, then may, you'll, you'll crush marriage with some counselors and some wisdom and some prayer. You will have a great marriage. If that desire, that longing to be a part of the life and the body of Christ is not there, then you're, then you're going to be going in circles. Sure. I just believe that. I kind of asked you and then I answered it myself. So I don't know if you wanted to. Oh, it's great. Okay. I have nothing to add. Okay. Ask well, him another question. Okay. I'll ask him one more question. Uh, how do you navigate a friendship with someone who is not a believer? This will, be our, this will be our last one. We're not really doing a friendship necessarily talk. Love was kind of meant to cover a number of relationships. So we'll, we'll, we'll cash this one in. How do you navigate a friendship with someone who isn't a believer? You guys sent some really good questions in here. We're gonna have to be. We're gonna have to be faster next week. Yeah. Do you have a thought, Tells? This was his question. Well, yeah, but he's. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. oh. He, he's gonna look up. His <laughs> I was daydreaming so, about yeah. how attractive he is. Um. <laughs> my. <laughs> I just say stuff sometimes. I don't know. Y'all give me a mic and here's a. Pro- okay. Um. <laughs> How to navigate a uh, friendship with somebody who's not a believer. Um, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out the goal of the, of the question. If there's mm-hmm. sin, I'm trying to figure out what is, <laughs> what's the issue? You, you be a friend to them. You love them like Jesus has loved yeah, exactly. you. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out what is the, what's the roadblock. If there is a perception that we are unequally yoked, like I can't run with them, then I believe that you set... Um, uh, boundaries in place where you can be in an environment where you are um, in any, any relationship, any friendship, you are either being influenced or influencing. If you're influencing them towards Jesus, great, keep it going. If they're mm-hmm. influencing you towards the world, that might be a relationship yeah. or friendship to, to yeah. call into question. Um, and so I'd ask the question is who's influencing who? Or it's way easier to pull somebody down than it is to bring somebody up. And so are they pulling you down? Is this a matter of my, my witness and, and, and um, my standing with Christ? If that's where this is and your behavior and how you interact, they always want to go out. I don't want to go out. They are always talking about this. We always disagree. I don't think that that is a reason to necessarily dis- distance yourself from or disqualify the friendship. I think that you have a standard of who do you allow in your inner circle. Because Jesus had many people who were following him, the crowds, but then Jesus had a certain amount of people who were actually his best friends. He had the 12 and then he had the three. Um, and so I, th- I would say, are you influencing them? Or are they influencing you? Mm-hmm. Are they making you more like Jesus? Are you living, looking, and loving more like Jesus because of this relationship? Or are you allowing them to do that? If you are, great. If you're not, I would say call some people into your life that can help you assess those relationships. Um, and then maybe just practically, if they do influence you towards something that you do not feel like God is calling you to be, hang out with them in community. 
because if you go in there into a battle alone, you might be more easily attacked. And so I would say bring some people around you who are godly, who can help you in that relationship. I don't know if that answers the question, but... No, I think that's great. Did you have a thought or no? Okay. I just had this proverb came to mind, Proverb 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I don't think there's any, any issue with having... I think it's great you should have friends who are not believers. Uh, you absolutely should. Um, I think you're right. You look at what the influence of that is, and I think we should all have deep and close and meaningful relationships with those who are our friend closer than a brother. Just because I think the proverb is saying, just because you know many people, that doesn't prevent you from falling into ruin. But those who have a friend who is as close as a brother, who stands with you and walks with you, is going to prosper, and that's going to be the grace of God on your life. But yeah, my instinct on that question was, you you love them, you serve them, just like you would with anybody else. Um, can we thank Pastor Talos and Pastor June, everybody, and Pastor AJ? Thank you.